you stand with me as we look at our passage today from Matthew 20? It's verses 1 through 15. You can take your Bible out if you have it, the, the old school good Bibles or the tech Bible. But um, if you'll turn to Matthew 20, we're going to look at verses 1 through 15. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Do you, did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. And I'm, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Father, we thank you for this revelation of who you are through this parable of Jesus. And we ask that our understanding of you will deepen and that we will live more fully into your nature revealed in this parable. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you can have a seat. So there's an interesting backstory to this parable. There's a Bible scholar named Joachim Jeremias, and he notes that Jewish rabbis told a parable very similar to this parable, but there was a twist at the end. In the rabbi's version, the late hires were paid the same as the early hires because they worked harder and did more in a shorter time than the first group. They earned equal pay through their performance. That's not the parable Jesus tells here, but the rabbi's version of this parable uh, kind of reinforces, or maybe it comes out of this false narrative that James Bryan Smith brings up in, in this chapter of The Good and Beautiful God. He says it this way, love and forgiveness are commodities that are exchanged for performance. God's love, acceptance, and forgiveness must be merited by right living. What God most wants for us, what God want, most wants is for us not to sin and instead do good. This false narrative isn't consistent with the truth of God that Jesus reveals in his version of the parable. A truth that helps us fall in love with the God that Jesus knows. And that truth is this, God is generous. The reality of God being generous is not reflected in the parable as told by the Jewish rabbis. And that's our topic for this week in the good and beautiful God. God is generous. See, we live in a world of earning and performance. 
you behave and your parents are gonna praise you. you. You get good grades and teachers offer you affirmation. You practice hard and the coach puts you in the game. You work longer and the boss pays you more and promotes you and rewards you. And see, this narrative of earning and performance works in every single area of our lives, except one. It doesn't work in our relationship with God. But because it works everywhere else, it starts to seep into our relationship with God. On some level, we like the rabbi's version of the parable a little bit better than Jesus's because it more neatly fits into the earning and performance narrative that we experience in our world. And that, that idea of earning and performance actually helps us feel as if we have some control. Things go poorly, it's because I didn't do better, I'll do better next time and things will go well. Smith sums it up this way. We live in a world where people demand, oppress, wound, and condemn. In our world, we earn what we get. So we project that onto God. The God Jesus knows is utterly generous. And so I wanna do a few things today as we look at this truth of God's generous nature. First, I want us to recognize generosity as an inner nature not simply as outward acts of giving. Second thing I wanna do is I wanna help you see that in Christ, you have the very same generous nature of God. It's yours already. And then finally, I want us to discover how we can live out of God's generous nature that is in us. And so we have to start by unraveling this false narrative of performance and earning. Now, some of us would look at that and go, but I don't look at God and think that I earn anything from him, that I perform for him. But I'm gonna tell you this, if we stop and think about it, it influences our interactions with God, our expectations of God and our relationship with God because it is a baseline in everything else we experience in this world. And so we have to start by unraveling that false narrative. So listen to this in verse 10. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. See, when the late hires received what the early hires were promised, the early hires thought immediately, well, we're gonna get paid more. They came with a sense of entitlement because the owner of the vineyard had been generous with the late hires. And so their entitlement comes from this idea of earning and performance. And here's what happens when we feel entitled because we have an earning and performance mentality. It makes it absolutely impossible to appreciate generosity. Any situation we walk into where we feel entitled, where that performance and earning narrative has undermined what we're doing and the reality of generosity, we will never appreciate generosity. Listen to this in verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? When we have an earning and performance mentality, not only do we not appreciate generosity, but we actually begrudge it. We start to look through a lens that says, wait a minute, I earned more than that. Why do you get the same as me when I earned more? See, the owner of the vineyard was generous but the early workers were unable to appreciate and delight in his generous nature because they had an earning and performance narrative, so they begrudged his generosity. We all approach God that way at times. 
We see that mentality in Psalm 73. This is interesting. Look at verses three through five in Psalm 73. The psalmist writes this, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek, which I don't know how that works, fat and sleek at the same time, but they, they, they got a whole different diet and workout program in ancient Israel, I guess. But it goes on, he says, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. See, the psalmist, in short, is begrudging God for his generosity falling on the arrogant and the wicked, which according to Jesus in Matthew 5, 45, just happens in the world, it just is. Listen to this. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Why would God let the evil and the unjust experience the blessing of a glorious sunrise or sunset? Or be blessed by the refreshing and life-giving rains? There's only one answer. Because God is generous by nature. His nature is generosity. And His generosity isn't earned by performance or by what we do. And so go back to Psalm 73. Listen to this in verse 21. The psalmist goes on and says, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. The psalmist's soul was embittered when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. He knew God as the source of all, and yet the wicked somehow prospered before God. And then listen to verse 13. This is where it gets really bad when we have an earning and performance mentality. All in vain, I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in, in, in innocence. In short, he's saying to God, I have earned your generosity and they haven't, yet here I am struggling and they're prospering to the point where the psalmist says, you know what, why did I even do any of it? Why did I seek you? Why did I follow you? Why did I want to have a pure heart? Why have I kept myself innocent in my actions? because he has an earning mentality when it comes to God's generosity. Earning and performance will undermine our relationship with God. And here's why. Because it will result in what verse 22 says. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Isn't that sad? The psalmist who's writing the word of God is saying there was a point where I was upset, not that the wicked prospered, but I was upset at you. I was a beast towards you. I wanted to devour you. I wanted to tear apart you because the wicked prospered and that's not right, they didn't earn it. Do you see the depths that the earning and performance mentality can drag us to if we ever let it take root? His earning and performance mentality is causing him to lash out at God. He wasn't mad at the wicked. He was upset towards God because he couldn't get past the sense that he had earned God's favor and they had not. But they got it anyway. Doesn't that sound exactly like the early hires in Jesus' parable? And aren't we all early hires at some time or another? Don't we all have moments where we look at God and say, God, haven't I earned more than this? Don't I deserve this more than that person does? How is it that people who don't even follow you are blessed? 
And yet here I am, devoting my heart, my mind, and my soul, and my strength to you, and I struggle. See, that performance and earning narrative, that mentality is in all of us because it's the economy of the world. It's what we're conditioned towards. And that mentality, that narrative, focuses on the outward acts of generosity instead of praising God because he is generous by nature. And that results in comparing our lot to the lot of others, just like the early hires did in Matthew 20, just like the psalmist did in Psalm 73. And an earning narrative leads to feeling entitled to the generosity of God. Look at Matthew 20, verse 12. This is where it leads. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. When we allow that earning and performance narrative of the world to creep into our relationship with God, we grumble and we become like beasts towards God. We're no longer able to praise God's generosity because all we see is what we didn't receive and what others did. There's an unraveling that needs to happen in that for us. And all of that can fade away when we see generosity as God's inner nature to be praised rather than looking for the material blessings in our life that come from God to cause us to praise. The early hires didn't see the generous nature of the owner of the vineyard. The psalmist didn't because they were so focused on themselves. They couldn't praise the generous nature of God. I want to share with you a little story that kind of illustrates what it looks like when we delight in God's generous nature, regardless of who the recipient of it is. Years and years ago, I was in Haiti and um, I'd been there several times and made some friendships there. And there was one young man named Kerry who I'd befriended over the years and he invited me to come visit his house. And, and, and so I'm like, yeah, Carrie, let's go to your house. So Carrie and I went and we walked to his house. Now his house was exactly what you would expect in Haiti. It had a rusted, leaky, corrugated metal roof. The walls were literally made of sticks and mud and the floor was dirt. It had a little area outside the house that was kind of their kitchen area where they, you could tell they kept a fire there and had one pot that they cooked in, but it was always outside. Now the house had two rooms in it, that's it. There's no running water, no bathroom, nothing like, like, like we would expect. When they got their water, they went to the well, pumped it for the day, and brought it back. And in these two rooms, each of them had a mattress on the ground, so a dirt floor with a mattress on it. His parents slept on one mattress in one room, and he and his three siblings slept on the other mattress in the other room. Now, here's the thing. Shortly before I left to go on that trip, Doreen and I needed a new mattress. So we went out and bought a Tempur-Pedic. And, and that's what I had been sleeping on when we get there. And so as I'm looking at these two old dirty mattresses on the ground, I looked at Carrie and I said, Carrie, what would you say if I told you that I just spent $1,700 for a mattress? And his face lit up. It lit up with delight. And he looked at me and he said, I would praise God that he has blessed you with such a fine mattress. Carrie wasn't praising the gift from God that bestowed on me. 
He was praising the generous nature of God that would bestow a gift on anyone, even in his deep need. See, here's the thing. Carrie saw God's generous nature in my situation even when I didn't see it myself. See, I worked for that mattress. I bought that mattress. I decided I wanted it, and I went and got it. But to carry our new mattress was a sign of God's generous nature poured out on us even when he had a deeper need than we had. To me, it was just something I earned. When we recognize that God's generous nature is a cause to praise him regardless of who the beneficiary of his generous nature is, entitlement in us will die and we'll stop grumbling at God and we'll no longer be beasts towards him and we're free to praise God because he is generous by nature instead of simply praising God for his generosity towards me in what we call blessings. There's this great question in something called the Westminster Larger Catechism. It was written in 1648. And some Baptists and Presbyterian churches still use this weekly. It's part of their vision of their church. It's part of their life in their church. But here's the question. The question is written in 1648. What is the chief and highest end of man? Isn't that the question we all ask? What is my purpose? What's my chief and highest end? Here's the answer that the the Westminster Larger Catechism gives. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. That's what we were created for. To glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. When we focus on God's generous nature, regardless of who the recipient of that generosity is, we begin to live into this chief and highest end. We become people who are constantly glorifying God and enjoying him fully. There's no doubt in my mind that Carrie was glorifying God and enjoying him fully in the face of my blessing, even when his own need was much greater than mine. There's no doubt in my mind that's what was happening for him because he understood God is generous by nature and that is what we should praise. We praise his generous nature, not the way that generous nature impacts our lives, but the fact that he is generous. And so the next thing I wanna do here is I wanna help you see that in Christ, we have that same generous nature. God's generous nature is not God's alone, but it's ours too. Listen to this. We know God is generous by his divine nature, right? Well, 2 Peter 1.4 tells us that God has given us everything, every promise, every precious gift in Christ so that we will be partakers of his divine nature. We are partakers of his divine nature in Christ. By putting his divine nature in us through Christ, he makes us generous as he is generous. Everyone in this room who has trusted in Christ has God's divine generous nature in them, which means you are, by being a partaker of God's divine nature, generous. Now, here's a question. Don't answer out loud. You can if you want, but we may laugh at you, so you probably don't want to. But listen, how many of you would look in the mirror and go, I am a generous person. I am generous. Too often what we say is, man, I wish I was more generous. 
Can I just unravel that right now? This truth of God in Christ in 2 Peter 1 tells me that you are by nature generous. There's no way around it. We cannot deny it. In Christ, we are partakers of the divine nature. You are by nature all that God is, including generous. We can no longer say that we're not generous by nature. It's just not part of who I am. It's not part of my nature. But then the question becomes, if I'm generous by nature, then why aren't I living a generous lifestyle? That's the question we need to answer. We need to look for what it is that keeps us from living out of the divine nature of God, part of which is he's generous, that's in us already. And that brings us to the last thing I want to do this morning. I want us to discover how we can live out of God's divine, generous nature that is in us. Listen to this quote from James Bryan Smith. God is generous because he lives in a condition of abundance. His provisions are never exhausted and God is moved with compassion because he sees our needs. There's three things that are key to living out God's generous nature that is in us. Abundance, compassion, and awareness. See, I'm gonna tell you right now why we struggle to live a lifestyle of generosity. It's because we struggle to live out of abundance. This world is a world of scarcity. Think about how we look at everything. The baseline in our world right now is if someone gets rich, someone must have gotten poor. If someone eats, someone must be hungry. If someone gets a new car, somebody's old car has died on them. We live in a mentality of scarcity that says you have to earn your abundance. If you've got more than enough, you must have earned it. And if I don't have more than enough or even enough, I didn't earn it. And here's where that leads us. It leads us to a place where we fight compassion because that earning and performance mentality says, I just don't have enough to give. How can I be compassionate? I just don't have enough to give. And then we fail to see the needs of others because we feel so needy ourselves. A starving person doesn't feel as if they're aware of somebody else's starvation. But it all comes back to abundance. If we understood and lived into the abundance that we have in Christ, we would be compassionate and we would see other people's needs. In short, we would live a generous lifestyle the same way God has. Listen to this in Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The abundance that God lives in is also our condition in Christ. We have to realize this. Because when we realize that the very same abundance that God lives in that allows him to give himself away for us is ours in Christ, then guess what we can start to do? We can start to live a lifestyle of generosity. See, here's why we don't live a lifestyle of generosity. It's not because of our nature. We've just resolved that. You have the same generous nature that God has. And it's not because you're selfish. You might be at times. But that's not why you don't live in generosity. It's because we aren't living out of the abundance of Christ that is our reality. 
When we live out of that abundance, we live a lifestyle of generosity. And so the narrative of earning and performance draws us out of the abundance of God into the mindset of scarcity. If you have more than me, you must have earned it. I must work harder to get what I need. Which says we don't have enough and we never will. When we live in that narrative of performance, we become aware very quickly that we do not have enough and we never will. But here's the thing, living in the awareness of Philippians 4.19 keeps us in the reality of abundance. And in God's abundance, we are compassionate because generosity is giving of self, not giving of gifts. The generosity of God is a generosity that says, I will give myself away for you. It's giving of our time and our treasures and our talents for sure. But it's also giving our support and our emotions and our concern and our presence as well. See, too often we equate generosity with material giving. Somebody gives you a $100 bill, they're generous. But God's generosity is marked by giving of himself. God's generosity is marked by him entering into the place of our need with compassion from a place of abundance that says, even though I give of myself to you, I have more and I'll never exhaust it. So here's what compassion is. Compassion is entering into the hurts and the needs and the pains and the sorrows of another, knowing that I don't need to hold anything back of myself because I have abundance in Christ. Who I am is rooted in the abundance of who Christ is. Therefore, I need to keep nothing back. I can pour myself out in this moment for others. Smith writes this, love and forgiveness, acceptance and kindness are not commodities that diminish in their giving. That's a reality we need to live into. See, compassion is offering love to those who feel unlovable. It's giving forgiveness to those who seem unforgivable. It's accepting those who, who only know rejection. And it's bring, being kind, bringing kindness into the lives of those who are abrasive. God's ocean of love and forgiveness and acceptance and kindness has washed every one of us without ever being diminished by a single drop. If we're in Christ, we've been washed in that ocean and it hasn't cost God anything to wash us. He still has abundance of who he is. We have oceans of compassion to offer others if we will just live in the reality of the abundance of Christ in us. It's abundance that allows God to see our needs and for us to see the needs of others. When we are locked into this earning and performance narrative, we have a hard time seeing anybody else's need. You know why? Because we focus on their actions that created the state of need. Well, this, this person needs help paying their rent. Well, what'd they do with the money? This mother needs help feeding her children. Well, why didn't she buy food? This person needs a new car. Well, why didn't they save up? We get stuck in this idea that somehow you are in need because you didn't earn it when you didn't need it. And now here you are. And that might be true of physical needs. I might find myself 
in, in financial need because I made poor choices. But you know what? Spiritually, no one is in need because of their choices. You know why we have a spiritual need? Because we are. The fact that we were born into a world that has fallen as heirs of Adam, we all have a spiritual need. And if we think about God's generosity poured out to meet spiritual needs first and foremost, then none of us can look at anyone and say, you haven't earned it. I can't offer my presence to you because you haven't earned it. You're not nice enough. You're not kind enough. You don't say thank you. You got to earn it. That's just not reality because God has poured his presence out on each of us through Christ even though we haven't earned it. We're all in that same state when it comes to spiritual need. So let me ask you a question. What happens when we understand that we're partakers of God's divine nature and that we live out of the abundance of Christ? What happens then? I think this is what happens. I think we become people who are evangelizing the needy through the generous nature of God. And we bring God's generous nature to bear on the lost and broken world around us. We become like my friend Carrie, who praises God's generous nature, no matter who the beneficiary of God's generous nature is. And we live out of the abundance of God, which is ours in Christ, seeing his provision in all of our needs and sharing that provision with others. We recognize the generosity is giving of ourselves, not simply giving of money or possessions. And that that, giving of ourselves, is the very essence of true compassion. Offering ourselves to others in need, knowing that if God in Christ is sustaining me, then I am free to give myself away for everyone else. I don't need to hold anything back. And in that abundance, we begin to recognize other people's needs. It takes us out of our own self-focus and begins to open our eyes to the needs around us. Now, in all of this that I just said, please don't hear me saying to you, go out and be more generous. That's not what I'm saying. Rather, what I am saying is live into the reality that you have God's generous nature in you. Think about the frustrations of trying to tell a dog to fly like a bird. That would be a frustrated dog because by nature he cannot fly. When we think that our task is to just go do more of godly kind of things without realizing that all we have to do is get out of the way of God's nature in us coming out, we're gonna be frustrated. So I'm not saying go be more generous. What I am saying is live into the reality of God's nature in you. And when you live in the abundance of Christ, that generosity just flows out. So here's what we need to do. We need to remember and live into the truth that God's generous nature is in us, that we have abundance in Christ. And we do that by marinating our heart and our mind, and our soul, in God's word. Hebrews 4 tells us that the word of God is living and active. Both the written word of God and Jesus, the word of God, are living and active. 
active in us, doing something in us, removing the obstacles that tell us I can't live out of who I am because I might not have anything left for me. And so here's what our soul training activity is for this week. It's to pray Psalm 23. Not just reading it, not just memorizing it, but praying it. And here's why I say pray it. Because praying invites the word of God, Jesus, into the praying of the word of God's scripture. When we pray God's word from scripture, we are inviting the word of God, Jesus, into that place with us. And these words are brought before God and they're active and they're living and they do something in us. You can memorize it if you'd like. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I wanna encourage you to do is to present these words of scripture to God as prayer in Christ who is your abundance. Just take time each day this week to just pray Psalm 23. It's a great reminder of God's generous nature. It's a great reminder of the fact that we lack nothing in Christ. And then watch how that moves your earning and performance narrative aside and leads you into a awareness of God's generous nature in you and frees you to live out of that because of the abundance of Christ that's in you. And you have unlimited access to that abundance of Christ that's in us. There is no point where we will run out of that abundance, which frees us to be generous in all things. Father, we thank you so much. God, I, I, can't, even, I can't even grasp the concept that you, the creator of the universe, the one who has redeemed us, looks at me and says, I want my nature in you. The idea that I am a partaker of your divine nature is so overwhelming, God. So God, I, I just stand here and I pray that in my lack of understanding, you just let that be. And I pray that for all of us, that we don't seek to understand how that can be that we don't question it, that we don't deny it, but we simply accept that you have given us every promise for us to be partakers of your divine nature. And let us live out of that inner nature of generosity everywhere we go this week, God, in our homes and in our schools and in our workplaces and on the roads and in the grocery stores. Let us live out of that generous nature that's in us. And let it be because we know that we have abundance in Christ, that we lack nothing, that every one of our needs is met in Christ. And we're free to give of ourselves in compassion to all who have a need. And God, I ask that we do that this week, but this week makes it a lifestyle. That if something is said about people of Temple Baptist Church, that people would look at us and say they're generous. I don't understand the source, but they're generous. But underneath that, God, we would know that our generous nature is your divine nature in us. 
and we're living it out freely because we know we have abundance in Christ. If nothing else today, God, let those two things take deep, deep root in our souls so that we can live lives that pour out compassion on everyone who has any need around us, just as Jesus did. And so we pray this in his name.